Hello, I'm Michael Williams, Artistic Director of Sydney Writers Festival. I hope you enjoy this conversation from our podcast series. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I'd like to begin by acknowledging that we're here today on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respect to their elders past and present. And I extend that respect to all First Nations, any First Nations in the audience tonight, today. And I, I urge you all to consider your understanding of the country that we're on and your relationship to it. Uh, my name's Declan Fry. I'm a writer, essayist, critic, and poet. Um, published in various places, and my latest work appears in Another Australia, which is out 31st of May with a firm press. Um, this is Edda Gunaiden, if you'd like to give a quick self-intro. Sure, thanks, Declan. Um, hi, folks, thank you so much. I admit I cannot see you all that well, but I imagine there are people in the audience right now. Um, thank you for being here. <laughs> um, I'm Edda Gunaiden. I'm uh, an academic and um, critic and an essayist. Um, I just published my debut essay collection, uh, uh, the first of this month, actually, called Root and Branch. Um, <clears throat> and I'm a Sydney cider. I grew up in Western Sydney on Darug country. Um, and it's kind of a pleasure to be here. This is my first uh, festival, being on, on this end of things. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Delia Falconer, take it away. Oh, well, I, you know, like everyone else on this panel, I wear multiple hats. So I'm a, um, a novelist, a short story writer, an essayist, um, critic, I guess, um, as well. All those uh, roles, of course, sort of overlap at times. Uh, I've uh, written two novels, The Service of Clouds and The Lost Thoughts of Soldiers. And... Uh, I, my book, Sydney, is part of the uh, New South Press uh, Australian Cities series, uh, which has just been updated after 10 years. It's kind of interesting to think about how the city has changed, so our personal histories of our hometowns. And uh, my latest book, um, which is just out, which is kind of a mixture of essay and has some critical elements, and um, uh, is about sort of living in our current sort of moment. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and, um, that wasn't paid for. Yeah, I'm, I'm really yeah, impressed. Yeah. Bills in so the that's, mail. So that's, yeah, yeah my, my, my latest work, and that's an attempt to sort of just think about how it feels and how we are um, perhaps uh, changing in the face of um, unrolling um, climate and environmental crisis. So. When we were preparing this session in, in Peter Rose's absence, we were discussing how we would, um, what questions we would discuss. And one question that interested us, interested us all that came up early was um, a kind of twofold question. Um, and, and Delia has adverted to it a little by mentioning Sydney being a changing city. And that's uh, artistic longevity, whether as a writer or a critic or both. Um, all of us write um, in various forms as well as criticism. And so I'm curious, yeah, about how we felt about longevity and, and, and actually something that Delia had brought up was the idea of festivals having um, more new debut authors, um, authors who haven't published as much as in the past. 
that being a new phenomenon to see so many new and debut authors at festivals. So, um, Delia, perhaps you could start us off with your thoughts about um, that and or longevity in well, the Well, mentioned, mentioned positively, I, I must say, um, that, uh, I, you know, I thought Peter was going to be the veteran here and now I suddenly find myself <laughs> being the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the um, oldest um, person the on wisest. the panel. Oh, I don't know about that. But, um, so look, I fell into reviewing, um, as one does, um, uh, back in the days uh, when it paid very, very well. Uh, and... Um, you know, uh, and the cost of living was very, was very low. So it was a, a you know, that's, that's how mo a lot of us come into reviewing, I think. Uh, and, um, you know, I've been reviewing ever since, cut down a little bit lately to start to, I, I felt that it was starting to uh, eat into some of the other sort of work that I wanted to do. But um, the question of longevity around reviewing is really interesting because on the one hand, it is... Um, you know, it has been a kind of a, uh, I guess, part of part of a career for me. But it's also quite sort of evanescent. And I started publishing, you know, sort of, um, when did I write my first reviews? Maybe about 92, 93. And that was pre... My birth year, yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that was sort of really before things would go on to have another sort of life on the internet. So mm -hmm. I had a very strange experience, um, kind of at that point in life where... Uh, I've been, um, you know, sort of unpacking a storage shed and going through all those sort of books that I thought I would read one day as part of my, you know, ongoing critical work and, you know, sort of tossing out those books thinking, yeah, I probably won't read Elizabethan prose now, that one might, might need to go. But I also, for the purposes of this panel, went through um, my old reviews and they were actually quite hard to find. So that question of longevity, well, they're, they're living there. You know, I had to go, I used to do a lot of reviews for The Australian over the years and The Australian's Review of Books and The Australian Literary Review, again, sort of long gone publications. And, uh, you know, I had to go through the library database and, and find them in that, that system. Um, and I was, I was really, it was a really kind of quite an emotional sort of process to go through and, and um, and, and look at all those reviews. And I saw there were, I couldn't believe there was something like 88 reviews wow. um, that I'd written for The Australian over the years. But, you know, um, so, you know all these moments as I've lost, like, tears in the rain because they are, um, you know, they're sort of sitting there, but they're not sort of out, out in the world. So it kind of caught me at a sort of melancholy, reflective sort of stage, I suppose, about the reviewing process and, and about that longevity. Um, but I started to... Um, I, I, I want started to uh, not want to be. You can feel like you're kind of in a fish, sort of waiting for the, you know, the sort of the the, the insects to, to to land in the water. You know, sort of in a sort of feeding frenzy when you're really reviewing. I don't know about you guys, and you're sort of you know reading a lot of stuff that which is on one hand really great that you wouldn't necessarily read, but you know your reading can be very sort of reactive. And mm -hmm. I kind of got to a point where. Um, I wanted to really think about books a bit more broadly um, and, again, sort of reflect on, on the last 20 years of, of, of looking at culture and really thinking about how authors um, uh, and filmmakers and, and so on had been really, if you could sort of see the traces of us starting to, um, th to um, think about this sort of Anthropocene moment and um, how 
the, how books were and, and films were changing and how even the emotions that were being expressed in those, those, those films and books um, were perhaps changing um, as the culture got faster, more complex, more neoliberal, um, and um, uh, we started to feel, I think, more of a sense of, I'll use we very advisedly, um, more of a sense that we had, uh, you know, that the world was in a bad state and was kind of because of, because of humankind. So, so I've really kind of, um, I wanted to make that space outside of um, that kind of um, constant sort of... Um, um, keeping up with what was what was the latest and reading reactively. So that's a kind of, I suppose, a reflection on a kind of career arc. So it's a slightly oddly paced, placed on this panel because I'm, you know, not in the... I've, I've really cut back on the reviewing in the last few years and I'm not sort of in, quite in the hurly-burly of it as much as I used to be. Not sure if that quite answers your, your first question. But. What does it mean to you, Edda? Kind of as a, yeah. Mm, well, I'm kind of struck, Julia, as you were speaking about... Well, A, just how extraordinarily well-read you are, which kind of comes across in this text as well. But you have this kind of amazing ability to survey patterns, possibly because you have been kind of working during, for my entire lifespan. Uh, but that's what I, I'm, try, I'm trying not to make this an advert for your book. But what I really enjoyed is that you kind of have this ability to zoom out and observe these kind of macro longitudinal trends in literature, I particularly enjoyed um, the essay about <clears throat> changes in paragraphing. It was kind of strangely wondrous, that, that essay, um, and the way that you're able to survey like, movements in kind of ecological writing and post-human writing. And that takes the ability and the time to read a lot, and you clearly do do that, which kind of gets me to answering your question, Declan. I think that... Um, if if people can't sustain careers like it seems like reviewing used to pay a bit better than it does now and one could write a kind of weekly piece of criticism and be known as a critic alone, that used to be a sustainable career. Now I feel that there simply isn't the resourcing for that and that's just part of the bigger issue with funding the arts full stop in this country. By the way, there's an election coming up this weekend and we should kind of think about how those two things might be intertwined somewhat. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, oh, thank you. I didn't mean to kind of, you know, um, I suppose we're here to escape all of that. But um, yeah, I guess I'm trying to securitously get to your question, which is, um, about longevity of careers, and my feeling is that it's kind of impossible to sustain a career now as a, a critic alone. We were just kind of saying before this conversation started that we are all kind of writer critics. Part of that is interest, I imagine. We kind of, you know, have our fingers in a lot of pies, but the other part of that is that, you know, we have to pay bills a little bit, and I do think, though, that that affects the kinds of criticism that we produce sometimes because I was just speaking to an author before the event and she was saying we were discussing the question of whether or not we read our own reviews and I was saying absolutely not that's kind of a horrific it feels like being stabbed um, but <laughs> but she was saying that she has to read 
the reviews that are produced about her work because they tend to be produced by people that she knows. And so they say, hey, did you read my review? And she, so we kind of all know each other and we're more, much more embedded, I think, when we occupy the position of both critic and writer. And I wonder if that causes us to pull punches sometimes. And so those are questions that, you know, I kind of toss around in my mind a lot. But um, <clears throat> I suppose we should kind of name the elephant in the room, which is that I am one of those kind of shiny new writers, debut writers that do kind of get programmed. And um, I think it is definitely true that we fetishize newness. Um, but it's kind of a poison chalice, I think, a little bit because longevity isn't always built into our careers unless we're blessed with publishers who will kind of invest in us holistically. We kind of are always looking for the next big thing, the next new thing. And um, I think that a lot of writers don't make it past their debut because that kind of, and again, this goes back to funding, that the supports aren't always in place for us. It's kind of like, what have you got to say? Oh, okay, great. And there's, I think, a bit of a churn and burn that happens with new writers. You know, I pray that it does not happen to me, but I'm also conscious that it, that it may. So maybe that's why we also try to do every, everything all at once. And I make sure that I both write and write other things. And, you know, we're all just trying to build longevity into our careers. But, yeah, it's kind of a difficult mm. one. Mm. Yeah, I mean, for sure, like... Um I, I certainly agree with you that um, criticism was something I inadvertently ended up in. Um, I don't really self-identify as a critic because I just think it's a fluke that I happen to be writing, you know, generally uh, freelance reviews. And I also think it's something an author should do as part of their paying their way, so to speak. So I kind of joke, you know, in the Kill Your Darlings piece, I wrote about criticism that where is Alexis Wright's criticism, where is Michelle de Kretz's, that part of that joke is they both used to write reviews um, when they started. And often authors, um, perhaps as part of their apprenticeships, they will um, give us a play, give us a collection of poetry, and then they'll silo themselves either in something that's their passion or whatever they're most successful in. Um, I certainly feel, Edda, when you mentioned that, you know, criticism has some formal limits. So part of the reason I enjoy fiction and poetry so much, or even other essays, is, you know, W.G. Sable used to say that in the conventional novel, you can almost hear the, the gears grinding. And it, it, it can turn you off a certain kind of genre if you feel that there's conventions there. And in my criticism... I try to push the conventions, I think, um, but it's very limited. You know, I can't just write one paragraph in most publications. Um, and, and I do feel that the conventions of the critical genre lead us to perhaps not be as adventurous as we might like to be. And, and in terms of that thing of, you know, the small scene of Australia. Small scene is a very commonly used phrase. Um, I'm not sure what it means because it's a very ambiguous phrase. I think it could mean a person literally believes there are just not many people publishing in Australia. Um, or they might believe that, and this is my understanding of the term small scene, that it's a self-absorbed scene. Uh, I certainly feel that, you know, Edda, as you've said, um, the shiny debut, 
Um, I'm sort of in that camp of shiny new things. Um, wherever we are, the fact we're all on this stage is odd to me because there are so many people who are writing in Australia and the same names keep coming up. Um, why is not necessarily clear. We have a relatively high literacy rate. It's a very privileged continent for, relatively speaking, most people, education, you know, in, in global terms, there should be many writers publishing in Australia. Um, I'm sure there are many people who are capable of writing in various genres. Why it is that we have only a small recurring number, it seems, of publishers, editors and writers is, is genuinely unclear to me. Um, but I would say that in terms of criticism um, and being afraid to write in good faith about those people that we know. Full disclaimer, I've reviewed Edda Gnaiden's written branch. I'm not sure if she's read it, but it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, you know, genuinely. <laughs> um, but um, I think of it this way. When we say, oh, I'm going to see that person. Well, before you see that person, that author, you have to see yourself, you know, every morning. You have to live with yourself and what you've said and printed. So as much as possible, I'd like to think everything I've written in criticism has been entirely in good faith. I didn't pull any punches when I reviewed Edda. Um, and I wouldn't because um, I, I have to see myself more often than I have to see you. And I couldn't take you, you know, <laughs> if we were in kind of a round of fisticuffs, you'd win, so you're kind of fine. No, I would never, I would never <laughs> fight an author. I have no intention. I, I may want to fight you. How, yeah, okay. I will take it. I will, I will lie down and, and be a complete pacifist critic. That's no fun. But, you know, it strikes me that actually what we're talking about at the moment, and maybe we can kind of expand the parameters a bit, is, is criticism as reviewing. But that's only one end of it. And that's the end that I wonder if it even, even has a kind of longevity, you know, has, has a longevity as a, as a career. Because, you know, we've, we are writing... Um, one of the ways we've, we've made an income is to write reviews for newspapers or for, for journals that, you know, that, that, you know, I think the monthly still pays, pays, pays quite well, but, but you know, for, for those sort of professional places. I'm not sure that people are really reading uh, reviews in those spaces as much anymore. So that's one thing that, you know, affects the longevity of that as a particular sort of mode of, of writing. I ask students that, you know, I teach at UTS and I ask one class, where do you get your reviews from? Thinking, well, you know, where do you find out what's good? Um, and they weren't interested. They, they said, oh, we go to Goodreads or we listen to the radio. So in a way, this is, we are, when we think about writing as review, criticism as reviewing, it's a very narrowed down sort of field. And it's a field that um, I don't know that, I don't know that people are as interested in I don't know if I'm as interested as a reviewer either in talking about whether a book is um, not necessarily, you know, high or low quality. That was never my, my sort of thing as a reviewer anyway, but certainly being able to look at how a book functions and um, look at who it might be suitable for, map it into, you know, map it into um, different movements in literature. Um, I feel like that's sort of fading a bit as a form of as a form of criticism, but there's this really exciting, and, and you do it in, in your book, Edda, there's, 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 a, um, there's, a, there's much more of a tendency now for um, writers to be writing amazing personal essays, which are about, um, you know, um, about culture, in this case you, you write about, about MasterChef, but you're also writing about, um, in one of your essays in the book, which I found really fascinating, but you're also writing about... Um, 
theory and, um, and you're writing about um, our neoliberal age and you're writing very personally about your own family and your own life and that's a different, that's a new mode of criticism um, and a new way of approaching um, writing often out of the personal essay or in different, different ways that I think is really exciting and, and is probably where, in some ways, where, where criticism is sort of at at the moment or where it's going. So, um, you know, it's not, for me, it's not necessarily a, a you know, I think there's, a, there's, there's an increasingly confined space around traditional book reviewing, but I think there's all these other really exciting things happening. I don't know how, how you feel about that. I, th I think you're certainly right that we've kind of moved into the moment of the the kind of review mm. essay. Mm. Um, and so apart from writing, producing criticism, which, uh, you know, I kind of haven't produced a lot apart from the ways in which, you know, it's integrated into Root and Branch. And I have reviewed a couple of books for the Sydney Review of Books. Um, but I've also been a contributing editor at the Sydney Review of Books, my, where my role is to commission writers now. And I'm finding that I often am kind of approaching prospective reviewers and saying to them, you know, you can use this book as a springboard to jump out into bigger questions and open up the space to talk about, you know, culture and the current conjuncture and moment. And so I think that is kind of a way that criticism is happening now. And part of me thinks that it, you know maybe that makes for a more engaging kind of dynamic and therefore readable <laughs> piece of writing. Um, but I do agree with you that, well, actually, I'm not so sure that you've said this and I won't put words in your mouth, but I do worry sometimes about the review essay format. There have been times that I've produced a piece of writing that are kind of just my feelings about a text, <laughs> um, which, you know, some of my other writing critiques is kind of first-person industrial complex where we kind of just write to whether or not a book is for us, whether or not we felt like um, we could see ourselves in the characters, and sometimes it's kind of taken quite literally. Um, and I have felt when I've written in that kind of mode of saying, oh, I really like this, you know, I, I have an essay where I talk about how much I love... Um, my Beautiful Laundrette, which most of us probably know is a movie that was released in the 80s with Daniel Day-Lewis, but <clears throat> I kind of have reread the screenplay of that many, many times. And, you know, as much as I stand by what I wrote, it is a limited piece. It is, I admit, it is not a piece of criticism. I'm just kind of saying, I really love that, and here are the ways in which it was important to me. <laughs> but I accept that that's not the same thing as criticism, and I think that... <clears throat> when we see this kind of intermingling of the premium placed on first-person personal writing with criticism, maybe we do lose a little mm. bit. But you're right, mm. at the same time, there is not a huge market for pure mm. reviews mm. anymore. So I kind of don't know what the solution to no. that is, really. Yeah. I guess a diverse range of different <laughs> sorts of publications right. and, and reviews. Because yeah, I share your ambivalence. Um, yeah. Uh, that we sort of so often kind of bring so much of our, ourselves now into into writing about writing or or um, you know or film culture or so on. Um, but you know, I still I, I feel it's an increasingly perhaps it's an increasingly niche fix, and perhaps that's kind of you know sad. But I still do love reading reviews that mm -hmm. actually. Um, take something apart and um, look at a book or look at yes. the, how a book, um, you know, uh, fits into 
um, particular sort of literary histories or, you know, sort of long, you know, long genealogies of writing. Um, you know, I, I, I love that. That's probably my favourite sort of criticism. But I just think that, you know, we can kind of get into, we're always talking about the end days, you know, in so many different <laughs> ways about culture. And it's just important to kind of notice that there are a whole series of, you know, different ways in which... Um, you know, that, um, you know, criticism is happening, but it's happening in maybe in less direct, more meta sort of ways, perhaps. Mm. Well, it kind of raises the question for me of what even is criticism. Mm. I think, you know, we're talking about mm. reviews as being a particular form that involves mm. appraising a text on the face of mm. what it was aiming to do and whether or not it achieved that mm. in a broader context of other literature that yep. kind of sits alongside it. That, to me, is what reviewing is, mm. you know, and mm. it is an extremely selfless act, I think, mm. to take, to really focus on craft mm. and take a text apart and read it really closely. That's a generous and selfless act. And then there are kind of reviews that are like, oh, it wasn't for me. It made me mm. feel angry or something mm -hmm. like that. And, but, and then there are these other kind of ways we approach criticism where they are baked into personal essays. And so, I don't know, I guess mm. not to... Um, not to flip this on you, Declan, I'm aware that you're kind of moderating, but, you know, how do you approach a review and what does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking that um, even the question of does the text achieve its aims is risks being too prescriptive. Mm. Um, some texts don't have aims. Um, <laughs> part of the aim of, of modernism in European literature was to make a text that could be more flexible and wouldn't have necessarily aims in the sense that social realism aimed to use the, um, the fictional form to represent life. Um, and I, I do think criticism, you know, the way that I think about it, it is another form of writing. I don't subscribe to the idea that there's necessarily any aim. And as it is adverting to, um, any aim is potentially valid. You know, if you say five star, one star, that's valid, although I agree, as I think we all do, that whether someone likes or dislikes a text is probably the least interesting aspect of their response to it. The most interesting thing is the why. Why did a text make you feel X, Y, Z? Um, and I agree with you, it's a selfless thing because when I'm writing criticism, um, I'm, I'm having a kind of an agon with myself, like a, a self-communing or a duel with my own reading self about why I feel a certain way and how I can communicate that. Um, and it's really no different necessarily even in fiction or in poetry. I, I would say that to me, criticism is simply a response to an object. That's it. Um, any other aims are perhaps the pipe dreams of publishers or the craven impulse of the editor who needs to get home to their kids tonight um, and wrap it up and publish. Um, really, though, I think, yeah, that um, every form of criticism is something that um, you have to sit with, whether it's an 800-word review or an 8,000-word review. Um, I certainly don't change the tone or anything I do, whether it's Sydney Morning Herald or Sydney Review of Books, or Australian Book Review, or The Big Issue. Um, genuinely because, um, you know, I have found that there's the risk of anti-intellectualism 
or gatekeeping when we say, well, readers don't want to hear a reference to Thomas Bernhard in the review of XYZ author. Um, editors may feel that, um, but I do think, you know, I, uh, I don't believe, based on how I've come to books as someone who, you know, just read for pleasure, um, and I wasn't introduced to big words or um, thinking that is viewed as being somehow highfalutin or elevated, you know, there was no, no one inducts you into that in my experience. I do have a democratic feeling about this, that um, it's very important to me that the tone that I assume in an 800-word review is as thoughtful, as intellectual, as reflective as if I thought I was writing for an academic journal or something that is, is seen. I, I, I do want to be democratic about it in that sense, and I don't actually... I think we do a disservice to the author um, and to readers when we assume what they do or don't know, or what they do or do not wish to know about the text being reviewed. Um, so in that sense, Delia, it's interesting that I was curious about your thinking even about reviews being different to criticism. I know many people say that, but I actually don't feel there is a difference, personally, um, because that would require me to approach the 800-word newspaper review in a way that I fear veers closer to a kind of cynical um, sense that, oh, this is just a paycheck, mm. um, and I don't have to try as hard. Mm. I understand that with more words, it can be easier to tease out a thought, and in mm. fact, in reading um, reviews, I have noticed that the short reviews, um, my own reviews were, were strange to read because it felt as though 5,000 words of thinking mm. was being compacted mm. into 800 mm. words. They're the hardest. Yeah, More words you have, the easier the reviewing is in a way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, have you had struggles, either of you? I wonder, mm. when you wanted to say something, I mean, certainly mm. I'm writing a review where I want to bring psychoanalysis into George Haddad's debut mm. novel, and I will, mm. but I'm I know that the reader would deserve more words, mm. um, ideally. And I, in fact, I even mm. disagree with the Saturday mm. paper having 400-word reviews followed mm. by 1,000-word reviews. Mm. They should perhaps, mm. you know, um, economics and pragmatism mm. notwithstanding, mm. ideally they would all be 1,000-word reviews. Mm. Um, I do believe that I have taken authors very seriously in 400 words, but I know it's difficult mm. to do. So I guess, like, one question I wonder about is um, if, in shorter word counts, you've said things, um, I don't know, that you would have liked to expand on or you didn't have the chance to... to perhaps you even felt you, you had unnecessarily mm. kind of foreclosed a thought? Mm. Um, look, I'm, I'm sure I have. Um, I'm, I think I'm struggling more, have struggled more recently with the, the sense of what, you know, I mean, I've never pulled my punches academically. I've always thought that, you know, my job is to, you know, with a sort of cultural studies and a literature degree, that my job is to... Um, map things culturally and and in and to um to um think um creatively 
um, and you know, subtly, hopefully, about about the texts at hand. But um, I think that that you know, when I started, there was that sense that one could um, one would approach a text um, as a kind of a you know, with a particular expertise, um, and uh, you know, I bring sort of a sort of had a standard, you know, a, a literature degree where I, you know, we we studied, you know, literature three from sort of, you know, fifteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth century onwards, um, and so one would approach with a with a certain sort of level of, of sort of confidence. Um, but there's this idea of I've kind of started to kind of question that idea of being the um, the reviewer who comes in and um, can always sort of um, explain. Any, any sort of text. Um, and I think that's a real, uh, a, you know, a, a particular sort of issue now where I think that there's, you know, that as a, as a sort of a, a good generalist, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to come to grips with, with um, you know, with some books. And one of the things that I find very exciting um, in, um, especially in the Sydney Review of Books, actually, um, is the fact that... Um, people who really know particular subject areas, who really are, um, you know, really much more engaged with particular literatures, whether it is um, particularly around Indigenous literature, um, but, um, uh, you know, particular genres um, are really coming in um, I, I, with a, a sort of a less generalist sort of knowledge and a really particular sort of knowledge. And I've kind of come to, um, yeah, to really question that sort of role of, of myself as a critic of kind of coming in and, and sort of having a certain toolbox and unpacking something with that particular toolbox um, and being able to kind of translate it in a way to the, to the, to the general public. You know, mm -hmm. it's a really good review. You try to capture the tone. You try to capture the feel of the, of the writing. Um, um, so it is kind of, for me, it always has had that sort of slight aspect of, of sort of translation. And yet now, um, I feel less... I feel a bit less like like doing it all the time. Mm. I, think. I, was, I was even going to ask when you said fifteenth century literature was that European or was that? Um, that was early English. Yeah, early English see, literature, exactly. And that was exactly. my suspicion. Yeah, yes, that it was. I mean, the interesting thing. Mm. Um, we, we we talk in cultural studies about provincializing Europe, and it is important to acknowledge how parochial. Um, in a neutral sense, not in a pejorative sense, but how genuinely parochial um, people's identities and positions are. Um, people should speak with authority, but be aware, as you say, that um, even if it is a specialist, I don't necessarily, um, you're talking about the specialization allowing them to be informed about the context of a book. But of course, the blind spots are are fascinating to watch a critic transparently deal with in a way that is genuine and not put on because, as we've talked about with the first-person industrial complex, there is a type of writing that is uh, popular at the moment in which the critic says, but I'm not sure, maybe it's just me. And you, you think, I'm pretty sure you are sure, but you're performing the idea of being unsure. Um, that's another risk, a kind of bad faith, um, performance of transparency. Um, one thing I found interesting is that when I wrote about Root and Branch Edda, I wanted the word K 
Kalitzal, if I am I pronounce that correctly, to have the the Turkish alphabets sort of I. The dotless I, yeah. Yeah, the dotless yeah. I, um, but it wasn't able to be typeset. It's very right? commonly been the case, you know, when we talk about acknowledging our position of being expansive. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the ironic thing that cultural studies wants readers to think about often, is that even if you want to put yourself on the page, right. there's <coughs> pragmatic things that prevent that, material aspects of life. Um, many reviews where I wanted to um, quote Chinese characters just couldn't be typeset. Yep. You had to anglophonize um, your knowledge. Yeah. And I imagine it's something we'd all have experience of dealing with in our writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's kind of interesting that, yeah, one, one can <laughs> find the idea of being, for example, a, a professor of world lit quite interesting, you know, as if they're, these are not, don't require specialists in kind of every particular arena. But, um, yeah, I think what you raise is, I don't know, are you kind of saying that you feel that there has been a decline in specialist reviews? Am I getting that right? Or No, I think there's been a, I think, I think there's been a, um, a, a more of a, a sort of renaissance, really, uh -huh, with some okay. um, um, specialist right. reviews. So, mm. yeah. um, you know, I'm chairing a session this afternoon um, uh, in which one of the, the speakers is Michaela Saunders and, um, you know, her. I've been reading around her book, um, 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 or come, come Back Now, this book, yeah. All Come Back Now, and um, the reviews by um, uh, people deeply immersed in the traditions of Indigenous publishing and um, um, who and, and culturally engaged, who can culturally engage with it, are, are fantastic. And again, I'm seeing those in Sydney's review books, other, yeah. other places. So um, for me, that's far more interesting than someone, you know, like me, the sort of, you know, good, really good generalist. That's my training as a cultural studies academic. Um, you know, I think it's more essential in a way as well. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's more interesting, it's more engaging. And for me, you know, I, I think there's, there's pleasures in two different sorts of reviews. There's the reviews of the really good generalists like Patricia Lockwood, whose reviews are, you know, fa fantastic. And someone like Patricia Lockwood could come in and go, look, you know, um, anyone who's, what does she say, something like, um, no one would send, um, you know, a 30-year-old writer in to write about John Updike. You know, I'm here as an assassin. In the year of you know, our Lord. No one would, yeah. in the year of our Lord, 2019, yeah. without expecting her. And that's great because you know that she's going to do a Patricia Lockwood on and bring all her, her sort of skills. But, you know, for me, again, some of the more exciting reviews are, um, I was thinking about reviews that I really love. And one um, came out a few years ago and it was about... Um, histories of, of AIDS, as it was then um, at then known, HIV, um, AIDS, and, um, uh, and it was by someone who had lived through that moment, um, our gay, gay man, and it was just, it was part elegy, it was part, it was fierce, it was such a, um, such a, uh, an engaged, amazing, I can't even, I can't remember what his name was, but I read, I like to read those reviews that, where someone who really knows their stuff um, you know, takes takes me through the review. And I probably, as a reader, tend more towards those than the James Woods and, and, and so on, the people who can kind of, um, you know, adeptly uh, exercise a really sharp, interesting mind yeah. um, on that material. But I do like both. 
I find it really yeah. interesting because, yeah, I, back in the day, Mark Davis in Gangland in 1997 made a big critique of this James Wood kind of generalist criticism, and he, he went um, and attacked uh, Imagined Gang um, of Peter Craven and Helen Garner and Karen Goldsworthy and Robert Desai, and it went on. Um, I think his real conflict was with um, this sense of someone who's not invested in a, as a reader in approaching certain types of texts. And I agree with you, Delia, that the internet has perhaps helped democratise things. Um, and, well, you didn't say that, but I, I feel that in terms of yes, you know, the gangland. Yep, I, yep, yeah. yep. Um, I don't disagree. I, I think it's made things easier in a way that mm. couldn't have been imagined mm. back in the late 90s. Um, I actually, that point you make about an author with an investment in the politics um, of a text, you know, I agree with you. However, one risk I feel that exists is that those who don't feel connected um, personally to the text vacate the responsibility they have to talk from whatever position they do have. Because the importance um, of approaching race, gender, religion in texts is they all, all texts have them. And the fact that, for example, you're a white male, um, middle-aged male, if we take the stereotypical boogeyman um, that haunts us all, um, including the white middle-aged men. Um, they wake up late at night and go, what have I done? Um, <laughs> did I blame myself for not enough or too much? Um, that, you know, it's important, I think, for reviewers who don't necessarily feel personally implicated in the text to talk about the why, to still investigate that. Because the risk I see now in criticism is, um, it happened with Ellen Van Nieven in her review of, um, she was reviewed by, a, I believe, a white male critic in The Monthly, who said, I don't feel qualified to, to talk about this text. It's like, well, you were commissioned to review it and you published that review, so that seems very disingenuous. Um, I do feel that it's important for someone to talk about how they approach that problem of not even feeling invested. In the that's interesting in and of itself. And that's a big part of, you know, when we do have First Nations criticism, when we do have um, so-called own voices criticism or, or own voices writing. Personally, I don't like this language of own voices because it suggests that because of your identity, you are an authority on yourself. And we know that we're not authorities on ourselves. And it, it tends to essentialize and put the idea that, you know, let's also, ask this person. And also, difference, right? It kind of assumes that any identity group is a monolith in yes, which every exactly. single person would always agree with yeah. each other as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's very um, a vicarious space I'm very wary of. And yes, it plays into this. Um, particularly, I think there is an audience and a hunger from editors for so-called own voices writing that risks asking the author to, yeah, simplify their identity mm. and perform it. Yeah, well, mm. I will say that the Sydney Review of Books kind of has a policy of not asking for First Nations writing to be reviewed by anyone other than First Nations critics, at least as a first a salvo to sort of the people we approach if there's a book by an Indigenous writer. Um, and you're right that it's not, that it shouldn't be that 
it, well, I do feel that just simply being part of an identity group can give someone certain bona fides, but more than that, and much more important than that, I think is that those people tend to be specialists in thinking of Michaela Saunders, you know, she kind of um, has kind of just completed a PhD that means that she is extremely well positioned to understand futurist fiction. And so, you know, it's not just that one possesses that, that kind of um, identity, but one also kind of inhabits it and lives inside of it and also consumes scholarship and texts and, like, that is what gives them the authority. Um, but perhaps only for futurism. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. Primarily. Yeah, yeah but I suppose uh, what I kind of wanted to say when thinking about the, this critic that wrote this kind of really memorable um, piece of work about the HIV-AIDS moment, I think that it kind of makes me think that reviewing is fundamentally political. You know, when we kind of ask the question of what is, what does the critical in critic, because what does the critic in criticism mean? Does it mean that we're kind of making only aesthetic appraisals? You know, this is art, this is not art. Or are we trying to do something else? Is, are we trying to kind of speak to a, a, a politic or a set of ethics or values that we hold? Because you're right, Declan, all texts kind of have a politic to them. I think even social realist writing is about depicting the kind of mundane horror of existence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> which is political. So, like, I just think, you know, maybe this is going to be super trite, but... Was it Marx who said, you know, philosophers have merely interpreted the world, our job is to change it? And I feel that, at least for me, that's what the critique and criticism means. You know, I want to think about, and often because I'm reviewing pieces of critical theory or political theory, I want to think about what these texts are commenting about the world and how to change it. And I want to add to a conversation about criticizing, you know, the conditions under which we live and how best to move towards better ways of living. So I think, yeah, I think that criticism is not just about, it shouldn't mm. just be about aesthetics, mm. but that is kind of a mm. personal approach mm. that I take. Mm. Um, so... Well, I, I think that... Um I think the Declans use the term, which I tend to use as well, metacriticism, mm -hmm. that, you know, <laughs> um, and I think that's really interesting to talk about as well, that, um, you know, I guess that's, we all have some sort of form of, you know, sort of cultural studies or, or sort of um, um, political um, theory backgrounds. And, um, you know, I've always, as a reviewer, been interested in, um, you know, sort of, again, sort of reflecting on the, the critical process in some way or reflecting on, you know, one of the things I love talking about is new genres or genres that are, you know, why, what are these, um, what are all these books about things, for example? <laughs> why are we suddenly writing about potatoes and cod? Yeah, it might right. be a good or book on potatoes or cod. from or, the perspective you know, of animals. I thought yeah, that was a really fascinating yeah, thing yeah. that you did. And so I think that that's a really, um, personally for me, um, you know, a really interesting space. And that kind of brings me back, um, um, Declan, as well, to that sort of thing about not, um, not you know, it's, it's really interesting not wanting to um, uh, sort of assume a, a false authority, but also not wanting to vacate the, vacate the field um, and think about what that, that sort of 
field is. And I saw a similar criticism made in an excellent essay, and I cannot remember who the author was. It was, again, it was Sydney Review of Books, which um, I think, you know, we're sort of starting to see that there's such a value in having well-paying journals that, you know, allow for long-form criticism. But that was a reviewer of um, uh, talking about the reviews um, of Honeybee and how, again, um, a lot of um, reviewers had gone well um, um, you know, I'm not, I, you know, this is a book about trans identity. I can't possibly critique it. I can't sort of re review it. Um, whereas perhaps metacriticism is to sit and think, well, what's, you know, where do I sit as a reviewer if I am going to engage with this book? Um, yes, perhaps there are things I can't, you know, I can't say or no, but um, what is this, what is this field into which I'm writing? What is the state of writing about, um, <laughs> you know, um, about, about um, identity issues, for, ex for example. Mm. Um, so mm. that's kind of like the, you know, the sort of the meta element mm. of, of reviewing, I guess. And, and that critic, I believe, was Oliver Reeson, yes. who in uh, another, the next yes. review, I think, in the Sydney Review of Books about Eve Rees, mm. said, this is a book about being trans, but it's not you know, this complexity within a community, within an identity that a person um, has, does mean, yeah, I found it very interesting. It was a conflicted review of Eve Rees that I think I had a feeling may have come from a commission where someone said, Oliver Reason is a good writer. This is a book by a trans author. It'll be, it, it, it makes sense. And we certainly got a good review out of it. I think as a reader, it was fascinating to watch Oliver think through this book in a way that was not straightforward. It wasn't a simple case of championing, champion, championing, championing a book, championing a book, um, simply because you shared the mm. author's identity. But it was nevertheless, I hate to use a twee word, but I thought it was kind of a... I read it before it was published. I thought it was like very loving, as much it was as it was disagreeing with the text or critiquing it. I think that is maybe what the kind of pleasure of these kind of intra-community reviews can be. It's not that they're saying you are wrong and bad. They're kind of inviting you to the table to share a conversation. That was like the tone, at least I felt that that mm. review called notness had, and. I, and I think that it added so much more complexity than a cisgender writer could possibly have brought to it as well. Mm. Well, it's not really. I think it's talking at cross-purposes to say whether it's cis. Again, it's that compartmentalisation. It's Oliver did that. Um, a cisgender author would have had an equally invested experience mm. talking from a different but, platform. Yeah, I guess what I mean is... but possibly would not have felt as brave to kind of make the critiques that one only can when they are kind of inside of a community and they, and they understand all the complexity at play. It was mm. kind of, that, that seemed to me to be the beauty of this kind of intra-community conversation. Mm. 
being laid out for us to kind of see mm. as well. That's, that's partly one of the big changes I sort of observe as a kind of veteran reviewer is that, you know, when you used to write a review back, you know, sort of in the day when you were being born, you would feel like it sort of just went out into the void yeah. and you might not have a conversation about it. You think, oh, someone might say, oh, yeah, I saw your review in the paper. And now, um, you know, for better and, and worse, probably mostly better, one writes into a space in which there's Twitter, there's, fa if, you know, there's yeah. Facebook, there's you know, all sorts of, I think there's lots more literary festivals as well. Uh, and there's this, um, you know, the review doesn't just sit as a review that sort of sits in a, you know, sort of newspaper on a page or goes into the vaults. It kind of goes out into the world in such different ways. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, and such a, such a mighty sort of shift um, where you're kind of thinking that you're writing to multiple audiences, I suppose, as well, that you're not just, you know, writing to those, you know, sort of people opening their Saturday paper, you know, sort of um, over, over coffee in the morning, but you are... Uh, and that you then may then end up having follow-up mm. conversations uh, about your, your reviews. And you can write much more timely reviews as well. I think that mm. what I really... I don't know if the audience will have seen the Katrine Menzies Pike, who's editor of the Senior Review of Books, published. Did you see, have you read the Trent Dalton? Oh, yes. Right. So she's kind of pitched this, like, yes. quite thoroughgoing critique mm. of Trent Dalton's corpus, mm. but mm. she's framed it inside of it being an election mm. cycle, and she's mm. kind of named, kind of mm. named him as the mm. novelist of the Scott Morrison era, mm. and I think that the fact that we mm. can share criticism mm. really quickly now mm. means that she was able to kind mm. of time that to speak into mm. a contemporary issue rather mm. than just a book being this mm. old document mm. that people, you know, mm. one can encounter a review a year mm. on. Or, mm. So and That's a meta review too, is, in yeah. a way, isn't it? You know, it's a cracking piece of, yeah, I cracking highly recommend. Piece of writing. Yeah. Mm. It's really hard Thank because you. we have two minutes and 37 seconds. <laughs> this is not enough time for questions. Um, maybe it's time for concluding thoughts. I apologise. And I, I, I was looking at 10 minutes, but I thought, you know... Well, see, they the could appear on Twitter too. and, you know, sort of... Uh, on Twitter, we will email continue. And for, you know, <laughs> other um, forms. Look, in the remaining time, I suppose, concluding thoughts. Um, mine is only that I hope we're all around, that we have longevity as writers. And, um, you know, there's a romantic story Charlotte Wood tells of Helen Garner running off on a bicycle um, with a copy, the sort of um, typewritten copy of um, Monkey Grip and getting published and the rest is history. <laughs> and I'd like to think we can still have these romantic narratives about um, myself or Edda and all the other young authors out there. Um, and yeah, that criticism has no aims or goals mm. except to respond to a work of art. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm. What about your concluding thoughts? Oh, I was... Wet <laughs> I was waiting for Edda to speak. <laughs> I just got so accustomed to sort of turning to look at you and stalling, you know. Um, yeah, only that I think it's, uh, I feel this is a productive and generating, generative kind of tension that emerges between us, Declan, because I suppose I disagree. You know, I kind of literally quoted Marx earlier and <laughs> I feel that criticism can also be quite purposive other than simply responding to a text. And of course, I fully respect that that is kind of how you approach Criticism, but sometimes uh, I want to change the world. Right, yeah. <laughs> depends. How okay. am I feeling this day? Right, and you know that's perfectly valid. But I, yeah, I think that when we think about, and we didn't really have time to talk about the idea of the negative review, but I think that even negative reviews, such as Katrine Menzies Pike's kind of takedown of Dalton's work, come from a place of wanting to see improvements in the world and not simply saying, "Well, that was crap." You know, so that's kind of my parting thought. Um, my parting thoughts are the review pages are. are 
are, are possibly uh, dying unless they're sort of propped up by specific sort of grants that help them, mm -hmm. and I hope they I hope they don't die. Mm -hmm. um, but that you know this is a you know terrifically exciting time to be writing into, and that you know criticism is far from dead. It's just you know sort of morphing and finding very many forms and you know, often those forms are about, you know, what, what literature, what writing can do in the world. Um, mm. And I agree with you, Edda, I think that's, um, uh, you know, really, really fantastic. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and to rate our channel.